What are you talking about, man? What, 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 what are you talking about these days on BYU Sports Nation? First of all, that was a mistake. My Dirty spleen's wind. about to fall out. <laughs> Why get exercise when you could not get exercise? Bicycle! I have an electric scooter, bro. <laughs> I roll around on that baby. Yeah. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Interviews and insight from this week in Cougar Sports. Every Saturday, only on BYU Radio. To lead off, here's the double coverage interview of the week. Joining us now on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline via Zoom is National College Football Insider and Reporter for The Athletic. His name is Chris Vanini. Chris, great to have you back on BYU Sports Nation. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Now we got some uh, some real football stuff to talk about. Holy cow. And we're hoping that BYU has an actual football schedule uh, to play against. Uh, but here we are wondering what the Cougars are going to do. We'll get to that in just a moment. But I want to start here, Chris. Your Twitter bio says that you are a Taysom Hill type. That resonates with BYU fans. So please expound on what you mean there. It, it means I'm versatile. It means I can play multiple positions, and you put me where you need me, and I, I can make a place somewhere. <laughs> Physically, is there a comp there? Or? Uh, I mean, I, I don't think I'm good enough to play in the NFL, so <laughs> probably not in that sense. <laughs> Taysom Hill, one, perhaps the greatest athlete in BYU history. He was amazing. Okay, let's uh, get to the news. So obviously the ACC says, okay, conference only plus one. They want to preserve some of those SEC rivalries and whatnot, right? Uh and then the ACC, rumors of a conference only, a plus one, and so on and so forth. So uh, what's your reaction to the news that's coming out as more dominoes fall as we get closer to knowing what schedules are going to be played? I, I think my biggest takeaway from the ACC news yesterday was that nobody knows what anybody else is doing, and the communication is very poor. Uh, even, even coming out of Tuesday's AD meeting, there were people – who didn't think the ACC would make a decision. Obviously, the SEC didn't quite know this was coming. There had been talk about the schedule alliance. The plus one puts pressure on them now. You know, a couple of weeks ago, the Big Ten surprised everybody with their moves. So it just kind of highlights that everybody's really just working on their own here. You've got different start dates for each conference, depending on, on what you do. So it, it, I think it's a good plan by the ACC. I think it was probably the best plan they could probably go forward with especially getting Notre Dame and there was obviously a big get for them but but uh it just feels like round and round we go every day someone else is doing something different and and speaking of uh someone else and potentially doing something different now the question turns to what is the SEC the the good old boys in the southeastern conference Alabama and Tennessee's and Florida's and Georgia's and all of these historic programs what do you think they're going to do, Chris, in light of what the ACC announced yesterday? Well, the, the presidents meet today. There's a decent chance they could make a decision today. It's always possible they don't. Uh, but, yeah, the ACC decision puts a lot of pressure on them. There, there are those in, interconference rivalry games, your South Carolina Clemsons, your Georgia-Georgia Techs. Those matter to a lot of people in those states. And if the SEC decides to do conference only – and the SEC is the reason that those games don't happen. You're going to have a lot of local politicians that are mad. They've already spoken up on some of this stuff before. So it was really a shrewd move by the ACC. Uh, obviously, you know, I'm sure the SEC would have liked some communication on that before they figured out what everybody was doing. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see what the SEC does today. It's probably either conference only or a plus one. But uh, as with all these things, they seem to change by the day. The ACC made a massive power move in saying, okay, you can, 
we're going to do a, a plus one non-conference game, but it's got to be a home game. So the ACC team is saying they've got to host the SEC team in that rivalry, right? That's that's a power move from the ACC. Yeah, and, and the ACC already is scheduled to host a number of those those SEC rivalry games already this year. I'm sure that was one reason that they were okay with doing that right now. It's an easier decision for them when they have the game at home, when they have the, the game on their TV inventory. Uh, but yeah, it, it does play into it. It does, it does, but it does open the door for the, the, the in-state games because South Carolina Clemson, that's in the same state, no matter what Georgia, Georgia tech, Florida, Florida state, those games are in the same state, no matter what. Uh, so I, I think they can work around it, but it certainly was easier for the ACC to make this call. Do you feel like the Pac-12 and Big Ten jumped the gun in that regard? Because at least in the Pac-12, for us, we're saying, why can't BYU and Utah play? They're, it's l- literally a 45-minute drive. Um, you know, Right now, maybe an hour with traffic. But Utah flying to L.A. makes no sense compared to uh, playing BYU. Did the ACC perhaps learn a little bit in, well, we want to preserve some non-conference rivalries, or maybe they just have more in that area of the country? I mean, I'm sure it played a role, but the the biggest thing in terms of the Big Ten and the Pac-12 doing what they did was safety was a factor, but the biggest factor was schedule flexibility, being able to work with teams you work with as a group on all sorts of types of issues, people who are already on the same page. You can change games if you need to. You can replace opponents if you need to. They all work together as a group already. The flexibility was a big part of this because there's a lot of, you know, a group, a game against a group of five team or a BYU gets, gets canceled and it's like, hey, we're just right down the road. We're doing the same testing. Why can't we, we do that? And, yeah, the ACC is keeping the door open for that types of things. But the Big Ten – felt coming off of the Ivy League news a, a few days prior that someone needed to make a decision because had the Big Ten not done that or the Pac-12, who knows where we'd be now because, you know, obviously everybody's just kind of waiting and waiting and hoping we get to fall camp, hoping we get to the season, and the wheels needed to start turning. Chris Vanini, college football insider and writer for The Athletic with us on BYU Sports Nation. The Cougars, as you well know, Chris, said goodbye to three games with the Pac-12 and two with the Big Ten and are now kind of uh, almost preparing to hear that they won't play Missouri or have that uh, possibility of Alabama in week one. So BYU fans are kind of scrambling, but then they look at Notre Dame and the ACC and say, well, isn't there a conference that would that would welcome BYU and, and, and do this if BYU offered up their ESPN money and, and somehow they could come to some type of collaborative effort. Is there a conference that would best fit BYU scenario that it could be a mutually beneficial situation for the conference and BYU? I, I can't say I'm aware if any of that is happening up front, but the place it would make the most sense would obviously be the Mountain West because of the, the previous ties there, because of the location, because of the TV money. Notre Dame's TV money, it's not quite conference-level money, but it's still big money. That was the big factor that the ACC needed to work out in bringing them, already, bringing them in. Notre Dame also already plays five ACC games a year, so – you know, it's not as big of a jump compared to what BYU going into another conference should be. The, the independents outside of Notre Dame are in a in a really tough spot. Uh, I think it, w- it could make sense if the Mountain West and BYU decided to do that. I'm not obviously. There's a lot of different machinations that need to go on for that to happen. But just hypothetically, 
you know, if I'm BYU, that feels like that might be the, the safest bet if you can do that. But you've got con- you've got game contracts you got to figure out already. There, there's a whole host of issues. It's a very complicated thing if that were to happen. Let's talk about the Big 12 because they're an interesting one that uh, has said a little bit, uh, you know, in terms of reports uh, leaked or rumors and whatnot. But um, they're unique in that they only have uh, the 10 teams. So how do you see that potentially shaking out? Yeah, I mean, the Big 12 – you know, the ACC pushed things back a week. The Pac-12 pushed things back to late September. The Big 12 is going the other way. They, they've scheduled some week zero games. At Kansas added Southern Illinois, or I think they may have moved that. Uh, Oklahoma moved its Missouri State game up. Um, there has been talk about TCU UNLV, but that's not official. We don't know if that's actually happening yet. So, you know, the Big 12, yeah, they only have 10 teams. They only play nine conference games. They may try to ha- keep some of those group of five games that they already have on the schedule or FCS games. And, and they're, they're, they're one we're still not sure about. They, they appear to be the last Power Five league that's going to make a decision. Chris, you mentioned that the communication has been porous, and that's probably putting it lightly between all of these Power Five conferences. And it's easy to point that there's no really central governing figure for Power Five college football. So uh, in your educated, uh, tenured writer opinion, what does college football need to try and make the communication better and organize this? It's hard to say. You know, a lot of people say there should be a football czar to be in control of things, but there are so many competing interests within the sport of college football, within the Power Five, within the Power Five conferences themselves, that nobody can ever come to a unanimous agreement on things. And that's just kind of the way it is. College football has always been a regional sport with regional priorities and, and, and trying to figure it out from there. It's easy to say, hey, everybody wants to do this. Hey, you know, hey, Mac Brown would be a great guy to do it one day or something like that. But as some people have mentioned, as he mentioned it the other day, but everybody's going to have accusations of bias toward one thing. You need to have everybody come to an, an agreement on that. The NCAA is not an organization. It's a collection of the schools. There's obviously a lot of bureaucracy committees, different presidents, ADs on different things. It's very convoluted, but that's kind of the only way you can do it when you have what 300 teams in division one alone, not to mention D two and D three. It's kind of, it's, it's not like pro sports where you have 30 teams and they're all businesses and everybody gets paid and you can just have a player's union and you figure it out. College sports is very complicated. It always has been from the beginning. And I don't think there's a way you could set up one person to be in charge of one thing and get everybody to agree for that to happen. Fine. I'll do it. Fine. I'll do it. Let's talk about how many games you really think are going to be played because I think it's great that they're pushing forward, trying to play 10 plus one or whatever, right? When all said and done, we don't know if we're going to have a Miami Marlins situation, right? Where up, oh, this team can't play or this team can't play suddenly. So how many games do you think we're going to actually get in on average? Man, I, I have no idea. I, I'm 50-50 at best that we even get to the season because you still have to have all the students come back to campus. And that's going to create it. There are going to be outbreaks on certain campuses. Do those outbreaks reach the football teams? You know, is the NCAA going to cancel D3 and D2 next week? Or or what about FCS? And does FBS go forward? Can a conference, hey, if, if one or two teams has an outbreak and they have to shut it down, will the conference move forward without them? These contingency plans need to be developed. Clearly, MLB did not have one. They were they were figuring out the Marlins situation on the fly. 
you know, in, in baseball in Korea, when a team had an outbreak, basically things shut down for a few weeks and then they would come back. It's harder to do that in football when you have limited games. So I, I honestly have no idea. Like I said, I'm 50, 50. We even get start of the season because there's going to be thousands and thousands of students coming to college campuses. And we, everybody knows how college students typically act. And is that going to be a safe environment in terms of keeping people from getting the virus? I, I could not give you a game. I just know that if we start and we get two or three games in, and then they feel like they have to shut down, that may be the worst situation of, of all the possibilities. Chris, great to catch up with you, man. We appreciate the insights. Uh, enjoy your writing and your material. For those that uh, haven't experienced it, how can they find what you do? Yeah, just theathletic.com. Uh, we have a 40% off deal going on right now. Just click on any story and, and, and you get a, a discounted subscription. We got a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of college football news going on. So just check us out there. I can't wait to read about actual football games that you're reporting on. Only positive vibes here, Chris. Yes, absolutely. Thanks, man. That was one of our favorite interviews this week. You're listening to the best of BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. BYU football, day one of practice, albeit not fall camp, in the books yesterday. Among the practice criteria, by the way, meetings, walkthroughs, conditioning, lifting for 20 hours a week, Total, the Cougars can then transition into a fall camp-like situation, it would appear, next week, about Tuesday. Cougars are granted a waiver by the NCAA to hold workouts and meetings in spite of no officially announced week one game around September 5th, although Alabama is rumored to be that team. You wonder if BYU has that game lined up, and they told the NCAA, we would like to prepare for a potential game, and maybe it's this game, we're just finalizing it, and hey, we need the waiver. So things are looking good for BYU to play a week one game based on the waiver. Correct me if I'm wrong, but BYU had a prominent football memory or happening on September 5th. That was BYU at Nebraska, right? September I think so. 5th. I'm sure they've had a lot of September 5th. Give it up for Federico of the 49ers, former BYU linebacker and now San Francisco star Fred Warner lands at number 70 in the NFL's top 100 players of 2020. The top 100 is not just any list. It's compiled and voted on by NFL players themselves. So this is a legit tip of the cap to Fred. Warner is the only 49ers player revealed to date, but he won't be the last. He has other notable September 5th uh, games. So Nebraska, Oklahoma 09, at Alabama 98. How about that? How about that? The NCAA grants waivers to not, they're just handing out waivers everywhere to non-football sports to reduce the amount of fall games required to participate in NCAA championships by half. That depends by sport, right? So volleyball, they said, hey, you need to play 22 or whatever. I don't know what the number is. You get a waiver, and you get a waiver, and you get a waiver. Yeah, they gave Alex Marcello one last year. That was great. For BYU, this affects men and women's cross country, women's soccer, and women's volleyball. So the anticipation of fewer games, obviously, happening now, officially sanctioned to participate in championships. Just give us something. And we're waiting for, uh, what, another almost two weeks to hear from the NCAA whether they will hold the fall championships at all, a.k.a. the seasons. Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation and Studio B. We do so with the following question. Are the following metrics and scenarios 
Too High, Too Low, or Just Right. Presented by BYU Food to Go, the MVP of your next event. Jerem, I'm up first at number one. Too High, Too Low, or Just Right. BYU football will play at least nine games this fall. Too high. I feel like it's going to be four to six because some team's going to be like, oh, we, we're the Marlins. We have coronavirus. We can't play. We have to isolate. I just think it's going to get weird. And that's kind of the workaholics mindset, right? It depends on when it starts. If the season starts on time and it's done on September 5th, then I feel like there's a much better chance that BYU and other college football teams would play at least nine games because they can play them. I've seen proposed plans through almost up to Christmas if there are no bowl games. So there's just more time to try and fit them in, and you can have a couple of two-week breaks and things like that. So I don't know. I Again, if it's on time, yeah, I think it's just right. If the season starts mid to late September, nine games not happening. I want to hear someone say these words. Is it is one positive test means for a shutdown of a game or not? And who is, it, is what re- is it? Four, nine, what, and what will it? all these programs reveal it? Like, what if they do have a positive COVID test, but they're just like, "No, you're out." Like, we're going to keep playing, but you're out. We believe in revelation. Let's go. Too high, too low, or just right? Zach Wilson, a top twenty returning quarterback in college football. We're talking healthy Zach Wilson. Cam Miller of SB Nation told Ben Criddle yesterday that he was a top twenty quarterback in college football. I say a healthy Zach Wilson is a top 30 quarterback in college football. Not coming off shoulder surgery, uh, having, a, having a full offseason to prepare with no significant injury hiccups. I think Zach Wilson is a top 30 is, quarterback. Or can be. Is. Okay. As a healthy player, which I think he is right now. Top 20 is, whoo, that is a hot take. Uh, but. I think Zach Wilson is in the top fourth of college football of returning quarterbacks when he's healthy. The numbers say otherwise, but I believe that he can be. So I don't think he is at the moment, but I think he needs to prove himself. Uh, 11 TDs, 9 picks. I know a lot of those picks weren't his fault, according to Cam, and that's fine. But it's still on your uh, stat line. Well, and Zach played some really good defenses too right ask Tanner Mangum how the beginning of 2018 went like that was what he had to do and then Zach had to play the hard part yes I believe Zach can be a fantastic quarterback we've seen amazing things at the end of Tennessee in overtime and the final drive USC USC was his peak game is better than Western Michigan because of the opponent he can be really good top 20 feels like a stretch at this point he was awesome against Utah as a freshman in Salt Lake City first three quarters were awesome for BYU I wish he would have uh, finished in the fourth okay on to the next. Jerem, too high, too low, or just right? Fred Warner, the 70th best player in the NFL. That, according to the players. It feels just right. It feels like 70s where he fits. A lot of people say, hey, he's underrated. He's underrated. So the fact that he gets into the top 100, I think is pretty cool. For a guy who did not play that specific position of been a linebacker at BYU, he played outside. Based on what Fred has done, this feels just right. The players are noticing. The video game developers are noticing. And he's making plays in the Super Bowl. This is just right. Fred Warner is a top 75 player in the NFL. And too high, too low, or just right? Last one. Yoli Child's a top 70 NBA prospect. I think that's fair. Yoli Child's, while he is older and maybe not on as many radars and doesn't fit the prototypical NBA age and scenario. Right now, I think Yoli Childs is one of the 70th, uh, 70 best NBA draft prospects on the board. 
Now, on most boards, he is not in the top 100. Uh, he is on some inside the top 100. His this maturity is, and, and situation, I think, helps him a lot. Yeah, they're taking that into account with everybody, right? But NBA GMs are the one who put him in the top 70. So they have the say the most. So, yeah, it's probably just right. I'm hoping he climbs into the top 50 because I want Yoli to get drafted. I think right now he probably wouldn't be drafted, but maybe the NBA Combine, if they hold it, he can show what he can do. I hope His handle specifically is the big thing he needs to prove. I think his jump shot from three, he had low volume but high numbers. I want to see him shoot more threes. I want to see him off the dribble, that kind of thing. I hope they hold some type of combine so that Yoli Childs can show that he is a man among boys. He gets a real good opportunity. Well, if he's 22 and he's playing the 19-year-olds, let's go. (laughs) The best of BYU Sports Station will be back after this on BYU Radio. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. All right. Show me the latest version of Top 5 Tuesday, presented by Delta Airlines Keep Climbing. Of course, over the past few days, millions of Americans have watched and witnessed actual live sporting events on TV. Yeah, baby. Major League Baseball's opening weekend brought us some really exciting moments and, yikes, some real consequences. But only positive vibes here, Jerem. So to celebrate positive games. Positive vibes, yeah. nice. <laughs> and opening weekends, we give you our top five BYU football opening games all time. Number five, 2001 versus Tulane. BYU that year led the nation in yards and points per game. They were awesome. Doak Walker Award winner Luke Staley got that campaign started with an incredible day. BYU puts up 70 points. That's a season opening record to this day. 49 in the first half. 734 Ooh. yards in all. Three 100-yard rushers. Brandon Doman, the Dominator, the aforementioned Staley, and Brian McDonald. That was a fun, fun day. The schedule was too easy. <laughs> yes, it was. That's why BYU won 12 in a row. Number four. I attended this game and have very fond memories of it. 99 season opener against Washington. BYU jumped to an early 20-7 lead. But the Huskies climbed back to take a one-point lead with five minutes left in the game. That's when magic happened for BYU. In the middle left, Kevin Federick scrambling left. Throw it up to 5-9. Chris Hale, 38-yard touchdown pass. Federick ended the game with 501 yards through the air. Three touchdowns. Freshman Luke Staley, remember him? Scored twice on the ground. 1996, number three against Texas A&M. This begins a 14-1 season. Chad Lewis got BYU on the board with the TD catch. Then Texas A&M rattled off. 20 straight points. Late in the fourth quarter, Texas A&M hits a 52-yard field goal to go up three with 127 left to go. And BYU on the final drive. Steve Sarkeesian completes two quick strikes to get the Cougars at the 46. On the next play, Sark to K.O. Kailui right there for the game winner as BYU throws for 536 yards in the game. Six touchdowns for Sark and goes 14-1 that season. Second best season opening game for BYU in 2015. Fred Warner was there. The Mangum Miracle. Taysom Hill started the game, was on his way to a classic Taysom performance, passing touchdown, a couple of rushing touchdowns, but then broke his foot. Liz Frank, then freshman on Tanner Mangum. Right here. Fresh off his mission, steps in. Fast forward to one second left on the clock, down by one. You know what happens here. Mangum. Plenty of time. Let's it go. Into the wind. Down to the goal line. And caught. Mitch Matthews. Hail Mary. They beat Nebraska. Hug a ref. 
And the number one opening game for BYU, 2009, in Dallas, in a showdown between third-ranked Oklahoma and 20th-ranked BYU for the first-ever game in the new Dallas Cowboys Stadium. Both offenses struggled in this game to put points on the board, especially after the 08 Heisman winner Sam Bradford left the game with a sprained shoulder. Insert Colby Clausen's name into the history books. 11.41 to go. Oklahoma six-point lead. This fourth-down conversion from Dennis Dustin Pitta. And McKay Jacobson catches the game-winning pass where during the summer he had called Max Hall and said, I'm open in the end zone. So great. I think we left off one. What? 84 pit. Season opener. I, I, th- I think that should have been on there. That's okay. Because they finished with three wins, maybe? I didn't, I didn't speak up soon. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. Joining us now on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline via Zoom is ESPN College Football Analyst, one of the best to ever wear number 50 at BYU, and an analyst for the Washington football team, Trevor Maddich. Trevor, welcome. The Washington football team. Um, Are you going to get used to saying that? Well, as soon as they start playing better football, I'll <laughs> be used to saying that. Although I, they were three and thirteen last year, I think they'll be a lot better this year. Yeah, it's 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 big changes, and I think guys that it was the right thing to do, but it still uh, is kind of sad in a lot of ways because most fans and and really the players that played there, most of them, myself included, have always associated their former name, the Washington Redskins with greatness. That was the only emotional association that we had with that word. And they were some of my heroes. I mean, even as a young man playing football, I would watch Monday night football and see Art Monk score a touchdown. And I would see Charles Mann take down the quarterback and Joe Theismann throw a terrific pass. I I would see these things and think these are the guys that I want to model my career after. And the first time I ever played at Washington as a player, was as a member of the Indianapolis Colts. And I went out early for a pregame warm-up. I stood in the end zone where I saw that, that name Redskins in that amazing font in the end zone at RFK Stadium. And I stood there for a moment and just respected what had been to me such an important organization because I associated them with championships. That's all I knew. Then I went out and I disrespected them uh, on the field for the next three hours. But, <laughs> but I also understand that for many of our neighbors, that word is like being stabbed in the ear with an ice pick. It truly has an ugly history. And so I think the change was the right thing to do. And we certainly look forward to what we hope will be an NFL season, a college football season. So let's dive in tons to discuss with you. Uh, BYU and Alabama uh, reportedly could be a week one game. Uh, we discussed in the opening segment what's trending, the benefits of that for BYU. What do you think BYU has to gain in a potential matchup with Alabama? Uh, they have a chance to get instant credibility. I mean, it's phenomenal. Alabama is a national championship contender in this season. And even if it weren't for COVID and all the changes in the system, Bama would be right there at the end competing for it all. And so this is an opportunity for BYU to really measure themselves against the best of the best. And I think getting them in the opener, should it happen, is also good for BYU because they're returning a starting quarterback in Zach Wilson. They're returning a lot of continuity. Alabama 
has continuity of organization and system, but they'll have a new starting quarterback. They lost a couple of wide receivers to the NFL, although they bring a couple of them back, Jalen Waddell and Don, uh, Devontae Smith and others that are phenomenal. But BYU has a chance to come in cohesive and ready to give it their best shot. And I think that this is a tremendous opportunity for the Cougars to demonstrate to the college football world what they can do. Trevor Maddich of ESPN with us on BYU Sports Nation. We're still on that hypothetical area of BYU and Alabama actually playing because everything is fluid. But if that game happens, which side has more to gain, BYU or Alabama? BYU tremendously has more to gain. If they play well, then and, and don't win. It still puts them on the map, and it still will make recruits look at them and say, wow, BYU's really on the rise. If they win the game, which is not out of the question. I mean, Alabama clearly has been stacking up five-star and four-star recruits for many years. I mean, in every way, they'll have the advantage from that standpoint. But if BYU is able to win it, then all of a sudden people are talking about the Cougars in a different way. And keep in mind that a couple of years ago when they went to Wisconsin, that was a top-10 team. Most people didn't give BYU a chance to win it, but they did. They hit Wisconsin in the mouth, and they beat them at their own game, which is to say BYU was more physical than Wisconsin. They went out and beat Tennessee, and they were more physical than Tennessee, especially as the game went on and they got into uh, overtime. And then a few years before that, they went out to Jerry World in Dallas, and they beat the mighty Oklahoma Sooners at their own game. Those clean-cut, church-going married return missionaries and their teammates hit the Sooners in the mouth and beat them in a physical football game. Now, I'm not saying they're going to do that to Alabama, but what I'm saying is that BYU has faced top 10 opponents in these kinds of games in the past, and they have shown very well. And this is a great opportunity for Zach Wilson and company to come in and execute, but that's what they'll have to do to have a chance to show well. They will need to be the team that executes better. And when you face a team like this, very often as an individual player, you can freak out if you're not used to it. But what you need to understand is that you need to trust your technique, trust the play, and take your sets correctly as an offensive lineman, put your hands in the right place as a defensive lineman, have your leverage correct, run the right routes, don't try to do anything extra. Do what you've been coached to do, and that gives you a chance. I'm at this point with college football, Trevor, uh, especially based on Major League Baseball and what's happened the last couple of days with multiple games postponed, the Marlins having a rash of positive tests of COVID-19. To me, it feels like there are going to be weeks that just straight up get canceled because BYU or its opponent has too many positive tests and we just don't play. I feel like if we get four to six games in, that's probably going to be something is better than nothing. How do you feel about where we're headed in terms of how many games one will be scheduled at all. And then two, how many will actually play? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think the season will go in, in fits and starts because of that. And we've seen that in the first weekend of major league baseball, for goodness sake. I mean, the, the Florida Marlins went up and played their series in Philadelphia and all of a sudden 13 players and coaches ended up testing positive and they couldn't even go home. They had to quarantine in Pennsylvania. And then the Yankees, uh, had to postpone a game. The Phillies had to postpone a game. There's this all this big fallout among teams that we're planning to play next. And that's in the opening week of, of baseball, for goodness sake. And so I expect the same kind of thing to happen to football. And I think it's important for conferences and administrators to think outside the box. I mean, this game against Alabama 
may happen, it may not. But the only reason it's a discussion is because the Pac-12 went to a conference-only schedule and Alabama was scheduled to play USC in this opener. So Alabama was looking for somebody else. The thing about the SEC is that they may go, we don't know this yet, but they may go to a conference plus one schedule. The reason for that is that so many SEC teams have their big rival at the end of the season as a non-conference schedule. I mean, South Carolina plays Clemson. Georgia plays Georgia Tech, right? So there's there's a whole lot of non-conference going on, and Alabama doesn't have that. So this might be their plus one. Well, if a team needs to schedule somebody at the last minute because of COVID, because an opponent has to drop out, then other teams, I think, will be ready to jump in. It'll wreak havoc with game planning. But I think that you'll see games occur that are not currently on the schedule as long as people can think outside the box. Trevor, an Alabama radio personality, his name is Stephen M. Smith, was talking about BYU football yesterday and the potential of Alabama taking on the Cougars to open the season. He compared BYU to a filet of fish at McDonald's uh, rather than the premium chicken that would be USC if you were to seek that meal at McDonald's. <laughs> now, uh, it's, that's up for debate, McDonald's in general. But what do you think of BYU being compared to to a filet of fish. Don't you love filet of fish? <laughs> filet of fish is awesome. You just want another burger? Is that all you want, really? I want some hot <laughs> yeah. chicken in Nashville. Yeah, well, you know, it's really funny that that the the local radio folks in Alabama are, are desperate enough to talk trash to BYU. They're desperate, meaning not not desperate for a win, but desperate for something sports to talk about instead of talking about whether or not there will be sports. I actually kind of like it. I think it's fun. It would be easy to see that as an insult, but I don't at all. I think that's that's a guy having fun, talking trash, and everybody will have a chance to prove it when they get to the field. That's one thing that I think that that sports people are good at, and that's good-naturedly talking trash about an upcoming opponent and have it not be personal, and I'm fine with it. That's fun. Yeah, what's but the Steven? here's the thing. If, if, well, if Alabama, or excuse me, if BYU wins this game, though, or if BYU plays well, in other words, if they don't play like filet of fish if they play like a premium chicken sandwich, then I expect BYU fans to inundate that radio station with filet of fish sandwiches for that guy to enjoy. <laughs> Maybe eat 100 of them on camera. Not Stephen A. Smith. Stephen M. Smith. <laughs> M. Smith. Yeah. Uh, Fred Warner named number 70 in the NFL's top 100. Uh, pretty awesome for Fred, who a lot of people think uh, is underrated. Um, this guy was a middle uh, linebacker in the NFL. He was an outside here. He's made a name for himself. What do you think of number 70 for the spot of Fred Warner? You know, he represents BYU so well. You know, on the field, I figured that he would do really well because he's got the physical abilities. I mean, he's got the ability to slither through gaps and, and beat blocks when it seems like he's blocked, but all of a sudden he goes by it. But more than anything else, he's really smart. He is a step faster than most people, not because he runs faster, but because he anticipates better. He understands what's happening more quickly than other people will. So his diagnostic is really fast. And because of that, he gets there fast and he's disruptive. A smart football player like that is always going to look good. And I'll tell you what, it's really good for BYU to see their guys and their guys do well in the NFL for the right reasons. And I'll tell you, Fred Warner, this is what he did when he played in Provo. And I, I love to watch him play. It would have been nice to have seen him get that Super Bowl championship, but Andy Reid, Andy Reid needed it. Fred will have his chances. 
There was this really fun moment at a basketball game this year. Well, fun for Daniel Sorensen, not as fun for Fred. But Fred, uh, it, it was Gonzaga game, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, Fred Warner was there, and and they he stood up and and waved to the crowd, and then they showed Daniel Sorensen, and he stood up, and it was like Super Bowl champion. It was like, oh, he won, but he didn't. Oh, shoot! But BYU fans love them both. But that was a fun moment. I know it's great. It's great. That's part of the fun of the trash talking, and, I, and I'm sure Sorensen will have a few things to say to Fred next time he sees him. That's fun. <laughs> uh, Trevor, your Washington football team is going to get a good look at Fred Warner on December 13th when the 49ers take on Washington. Uh, Taysom Hill and the Saints not on Washington's schedule this year, but Taysom Hill nonetheless is. Uh, what feels like an everyday NFL topic just because he is so unique. That said, he was ranked the 15th best Saint, and he was given a 64 rating on Madden Football. What do you think of Taysom Hill getting those low ratings from uh, the number one selling video game franchise and being placed as the 15th best Saint? I'm, I'm, listen, I, I thought you were going to say the high ratings. I thought that was actually pretty cool. He hasn't had much of a chance to show what he can do as a starting quarterback there, but all the other things that he does, covering kicks on special teams, going in on short yardage and goal line and making plays, all those things are unique. He can do so many things extremely well. He's a a game-planning nightmare for opponents. It's one of the reasons they use him like they do. The thing that stands out to me about Taysom Hill is that his childlike joy for the game comes out in the way he plays and the way he acts when he's not playing. I mean, that's one of the reasons why when he's in the game and makes up a play, the camera will go right to his face because it's not just, okay, I'm happy I did that. It is so purely and genuinely joyful. And I I love that about his game. I I think he's going to have a chance to be a starting quarterback at some point as well. And I think he'll do well. But in the meantime, what he's doing now is calling great attention to his football character and again, he's reflecting good on the Cougars because it's not, it's not just a good guy. That guy's an outstanding football player, not just quarterback, football player. Trevor, next time you're in Provo, I just want you to know a filet of fish meal is on me. Or a premium chicken sandwich, whatever you choose. You know what? Give me the filet of fish. That is now my favorite <laughs> meal. You got it, man. Great to talk to you. Always great insight. We appreciate the time. Thanks, guys. Trevor Maddich on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why we show how. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Our question now is, can BYU football do something like Notre Dame and the ACC and come to an agreement with a conference that would be open to bringing BYU in for at least a year. And I know the idea of the Big 12 was floated out there yesterday. It seems fantastic, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, the Big 12 and BYU finally come together for the greater good of college football, mutually beneficial. BYU brings all their... uh, prestige and ESPN money, whatever that is. We don't know the specific number because BYU doesn't have to tell anybody what that is. But then they would give uh, another guaranteed game to all of these Big 12 teams that want to play closer to a full schedule. So it makes perfect sense, right, Jeremy? How viable is BYU to the Big 12 for one year, a la Notre Dame to the ACC is? Uh, It's not. (laughs) BYU's not Notre Dame. This isn't going to happen. The Mountain West doesn't want to deal with BYU, and BYU doesn't want to deal with the Mountain West. 
they got divorced, and it was kind of ugly, okay? Uh, visitation rights, uh, you know, alimony. It was messy, right? No. Uh, BYU's not Notre Dame and never will be. It, they just won't be that. I don't believe that BYU would get something with the Big 12, but I would welcome that. I would love that. Of course. I just don't think that it really benefits the Big 12 that much. They can, they can, they can find the individual games. I don't think they want every you know to bring BYU in. Also, it looks like they somehow would favor BYU when they clearly flirted with and denied BYU several years ago. And several other programs. Right. Mainly just like Houston and Cincinnati or something, right? No, I don't, I don't see this happening. It says possible pairing. Can we scratch, scratch that out and say not possible pairing? The Big 12 I, inclusion I d- is a pipe dream. I don't believe. It was just a tease from us. It's not real. It I, would be I, amazing. I, yeah, it would be awesome. It would be awesome. And trust me, I wouldn't even take a Mountain West relationship yeah, sure. this year because of the level of desperation associated with a schedule. Right now, BYU is in a big pickle trying to figure out how this is going to work because BYU is looking around going, Okay, who's, what plan are we doing? Are we doing the we have some Power 5 games, some G5 games schedule? Are we doing the we only have G5 games schedule? Or are we doing the we only have independence schedule? Obviously, the only independence schedule is the worst one. But if it's the only one that BYU can do, I would welcome it. I'm not opposed to that because guess what? We're all crazy desperate and we're like Tyler Algier running with one shoe. We're just hoping just keep rolling. we can play. Yes, in some capacity. Lost the wheel, just keep going. Just keep Run going. Run on the axle. <laughs> That's what it's going to be in October, <laughs> man. The Big 12 is a pipe dream. Yes, it would be so fun. But I think BYU getting a game with a Big 12 opponent was probably the best case scenario <laughs> given everything that's happening. Just sure. one game with a Big 12 opponent. Yeah. However, the Mountain West Conference scenario intrigues me. I don't want BYU to go back to the Mountain West Conference permanently, but because of everything that's happening right now and because Notre Dame just did this with the ACC and BYU already has three Mountain West Conference opponents on the 2020 schedule, I don't think it would be that much of a stretch for them to say, hey, it makes sense, it's regional, Uh, it would allow us to have uh, some high-profile games on ESPN if these teams are playing at BYU. Maybe the Cougars throw in their ESPN money as a sweetener for the deal, and they say, yeah, okay. I'm trying not to laugh. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Like I know that they don't like each other. They've got a really rough history. But how often have we been in this pandemic scenario? And the Mountain West Conference said, oh, we're not going to work with BYU. Yet here we are, BYU – year in and year out, have a handful of games against Mountain West Conference teams. It's individually negotiated with those teams. The Mountain West has nothing to do with that. Does the Mountain West Conference? That's a non-conference game. I mean, does does BYU's amount of money from ESPN carry any weight to a group group of five conference? BYU's not tossing that. But if it meant inclusion in a conference and the ability to guarantee a schedule and play for a conference championship, don't you think that that would at least be considered? Not really. Uh, no, really, the relationship is so tenuous that I don't see in any form this happening. That BYU has BYU does not have a relationship with the Mountain West. They have a relationship with teams who are in the Mountain West. A majority of the teams in the Mountain West. Yeah, well, of course they all hung out. They know each other. They're friends, um, and some you're not friends with, but you will still hang out with, like Let's Wyoming say, later. San Diego example. State's on the schedule this year. I wouldn't say I would say that San Diego State and BYU are pretty friendly, actually. 
It's 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 Rocky Long independently. And don't you think Boise State and San Diego State carry the most weight though, being the two most prominent programs in the Mountain West right now? It's Boise State and everybody else. Okay, well BYU yeah. has a great relationship with Boise State. So if Boise State, who just lost Florida State, by the way, a home game in Boise. Right. Goodbye that to gonna, that. That was going to be Goodbye awesome. to that. Don't you think Boise is now like, okay, we absolutely need BYU on the schedule so that we can have something, something that brings added interest to but our they, home schedule. They already are on the, but the if, schedule. What's the issue? Well, my, my thing is, what if the Mountain West is like, well, we, we don't really like BYU. We're going to go conference only, so say goodbye to that. It wouldn't have anything to do with I BYU. Think, it would just be, are we going to do conference only? But I think not? Boise would fight back and be like, no, 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 no. There needs to be a plus one. We need BYU on the schedule. Well, it's in the best interest of the G5s to do a plus one. Exactly. If they want some money, I would think, right? Another game, a little more money. like that. That I don't think that BYU is as powerful in this conversation as maybe we're alluding to. I don't know. Or people think. I, I think BYU is looking around going, who will take us? We'll play. Let's go. We'll, okay. we'll play anybody. Well, and on let's, that note, don't go. you, because they are desperate, don't you think, hey, Mountain West, what can we work out? But not in a formal sense. You just get more G5s. Like, if BYU loses Missouri, then... I, there are schools that BYU has a relationship with because they were in a league, the WAC and the Mountain West, and some just the Mountain West, for a long time, that obviously there's a relationship there. And you play. BYU's played a lot of the Mountain West teams. BYU hasn't played Wyoming quite yet, Colorado State, Air Force, but Wyoming's on the schedule. I, there, there will never be anything formal with the Mountain West Conference. Ever. Never say never. I, I don't think that it will ever happen. Here's why. The two have way too much pride. Okay. BYU, you, you often don't speak in absolutes. This is an I, absolute. For only me. Sith speak in absolutes. I think this is a moment where, I think this is a moment where uh, it's pretty clear that they're not going to work together at some point, ever. I, I just don't see it because the the relationship is still too raw. It's only been a decade since BYU left, but, <laughs> but a decade. But a decade in the history of these uh, with these schools and whatnot is uh, not a ton. A long time. They in the six like sixties to two thousand that was a long time. The Mountain West Conference BYU was only in the Mountain West Conference for essentially a decade. Like yeah. th- think but about that. A, almost all of those teams were in the whack together, right? They have a long standing relationship. I yeah, is pairing with another conference a possibility for BYU? No, I I just I would love this to happen. I just don't see it. It's every conference for itself. BYU BYU wants to get in the club and they don't have an invite and they don't know one know anyone on the inside, per se. They have to say, just tell us what you're going to do, and then we will schedule who we can schedule, and we'll go from there. Tom Homo, we know from our conversations with him on the air and, and otherwise, is that he is prepared, which is the good news. He is prepared for any scenario here. He's got multiple schedules, ready to go, conversations, relationships. He's been at this a long time, and uh, he'll play the best schedule he can. I've argued that he plays too good of a schedule, right, in the past. So I'm not necessarily worried about that. I'm worried about what everyone else does. Okay. I'm going to tell you what I think is going to happen given the circumstances that are playing out this very second. BYU is going to keep the six games against group of five teams or FCS on the schedule right now. North Alabama might change just because there's a significant distance for that team to travel, and the Cougars might end up playing a Weber State, play a Southern Utah, play a Utah, Idaho team. State. Yeah, yeah. There will be a close team for the FCS game, but I think BYU will keep the five group of five games it has on the schedule right now uh, based on the direction that these conferences are going. And I think that the group of fives are going to be more like the ACC. Uh, conference only plus one, and, and they'll keep BYU. BYU will create some interest, and I think ESPN carries – 
a little bit of a heavy stick in this as well. I hope they can help, right? That's part they, of the I reason you have help. that relationship. Now, I trust Tom Homo and his contacts that he's going to go out and contact any team available in a Power 5 conference that will still do a plus one. I think the Big 12 is clearly, based on what they have said in the last few weeks, looking for a team like BYU. So, yes. BYU... Will they play a road game, though? Hey, maybe BYU has to go to Stillwater. BYU just have to go on play, the road. They play Oklahoma times. State. They go yeah. to Chestnut Hill and they take advantage of the ACC exception and they play Boston College in Week Forward. Maybe Tom can talk uh, if the SEC is like, "Hey, we'll do a plus one." And I don't know what the SEC is going to do, but it kind of feels like they would be. You can come here and play us. You know, yeah. Like Missouri will say, well, "We're not coming to Provo." That's typically what they do anyway. BYU has not hosted a ton of SEC teams in the past. Yeah. That's because the SEC teams don't feel like they need to travel okay. that far, right, for non-conference games. So they if, can just play locally. If BYU has one FCS, they play the five well, group of five. They might need to play two, and they can to yeah. get bowl eligible. Assuming bowl games. What happen. do bowl games look like? Jeez. NCAA waivers all over the place. Cheese bowls like, what are we yeah. doing? So those six games remaining. Maybe BYU goes to Missouri, they go to Boston College, they go to Oklahoma State, and I don't know, a good relationship with a Mountain West team comes to the surface and they say, hey, let's add this game. Okay, now you've got your 10-game schedule tentatively. Um, Tom Holmo is going to be able to figure something out. That's what I really yeah, think no is doubt. going to happen. No They're going to hold on to the majority of the group of five games they still have. They'll broker something with the Big 12. Maybe something with the ACC. You're saying with teams in the Big 12. Correct. Not the Big 12. No, no, no. I think there's a difference. Oh, yeah. I don't think that a formal, that's what we're talking about, is a formal. A game or two. Relationship like Notre Dame had. BYU does not have that power. If this was BYU in 1987, BYU would have that power. But it's 2020. That's not the case. So, yeah, I'm I'm excited for Tom Homo to do his magic. We're going to see what Tom Homo can do. We've seen it be some impressive schedules, right? This will be his finest hour, perhaps, in figuring out what BYU can get. The best of BYU Sports Nation. We'll be right back. Rise and shout for the trending topics of the week here on the best of BYU Sports Nation. I'll tell you what we're talking about, Dan. We're talking about the possibility of BYU and Alabama to open the 2020 college football season. This idea has gained some real traction. Is it reality? Who knows? Maybe we'll know something by the end of the week when Power 5 conferences will reportedly determine what some actual plans are. I don't know. There are all these ideas out there floating around. It's all fluid. It's all hypothetical. But if, Jerem, it happens, what does BYU gain if they face Alabama in a possible week one game. feels probable. There was a report. It's not a rumor. It's a report from AL.com. That's a legit source. That's not uh, the homies at Cougar Board throwing it out there. You know what I mean? Uh, it's a headlining opponent. It's the most dominant program in college football the last, what, decade, 12 or so years. They have five titles since 09. Five! That's incredible. And here, here's, the, here's the point of all this, by the way. So typically, I'm invested in BYU trying to win 10 games in a season and do something that matters. A season that matters, not games. BYU's had wins that mattered, absolutely. They've also had losses that were painful. Yeah. But I want a season that matters. This season's not going to matter. This season is just about playing games, some games. I, I'm thinking BYU's going to play four to six based on, oh, too many COVID cases, positive tests. We can't play for the opponent or BYU. 
this season has the busy, biggest asterisk on it ever. It's just, we just want to see some games. No one's going to play 12 games. Are we even going to have bowl games? How's that going to work with criteria? There's so many questions. So why not play Alabama? Why not have the best team in college football? Uh, you could argue, program, I would argue, for sure right now, based on championships, draft picks, and more conference championships, national and whatever. This is, this is awesome. It's a crazy test to see what BYU could do. Hey, BYU's won this game before. No, they've not. Uh, BYU's not going to be a 10-plus win type team, and Alabama's not going to be an 8-win team this year. That's the criteria for what BYU's done when they've beaten a team like hey, this. Hey, Alabama might go 8-1 and one this season, Jerem, so they might be an 8-win team. Relatively speaking, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't see how BYU would likely win the game, but go play it, compete, see if you can't be in it late, have a chance, right? I, I'm excited about the potential of this matchup because why not? That's my whole mindset with this season. Why not? It's so different. You're not, probably not going to play 12. Why not play Alabama? I think it's awesome. I love watching highlights of Kevin Federick running into the end zone at Bryant-Denny Stadium and Will Snowden catching passes out of the backfield. This would be a fun matchup. It's just cool to see BYU on the same field with that iconic program and those colors. It would be an immediate upgrade to the schedule, an immediate need for a meaningful game after BYU lost five Power 5 games in less than a 48-hour period, and you're doing it in an opening week. Top five game for college football viewers. If and when an opening weekend happens, so more eyeballs to watch the product and opportunity to make a good impression or a bad one. Right. That's the nature of exposure. You could get exposed. Risk reward, but an impression nonetheless that a lot of people will see. It furthers already good relations with the SEC. A second SEC opponent in the same season for just the second time ever for BYU. Worked out really well the last time. And just maybe, (laughs) Jerem, just maybe. A financially beneficial move? Could this be a a benefit to BYU? Would they get a stipend to come to Tuscaloosa if the game happens there? And you would think it's going to happen at a home site. Alabama gives BYU per diem. They're like, thank you for coming. Uh, Here's a few bucks. You can get your filet of fish. Well, Alabama's going to save a bunch of money by not playing (laughs) USC at a neutral site. So They would have made a lot of money, though, playing that game. Truth. Truth. But I I, I don't know. Is there there a stipend for BYU? Even if there's there's not, like... It's just a great opportunity. Here's my sense from Tom in our conversations with him on the show and otherwise is that the money's not the main motive for BYU. It's just not, even though you would think that BYU is desperately trying to just gather and keep all the money it can and or earn it, right? I think, I think Tom likes a challenge. In fact, that's what I've questioned with the schedule is I think you like a challenge too much. Uh, but again, in this season, what, what's there to gain for this? To have a great matchup. This season has, is going to heck. Like, it, it is. It's just unraveling as we speak. So why not line up the best team and program in the game and go down to Tuscaloosa? I'm assuming it's going to be in Tuscaloosa, by the way. There's, it, I assume that BYU is not filling USC's spot in the game it in Dallas. It doesn't feel like a neutral site game is realistic at all at this yeah, point. Yeah, it feels weird, right? You're just home stadiums, limited. By the way... Can we talk about this for a sec? Do we really believe any fans are going to be in the stands for any games? Like any. There's no f- there are no fans in any stands for any sport right now in the US and even England for soccer where they have it way more under control than the United States. Why do we think in like 5 weeks we're going to have fans in the stands? Well, it depends on the state and the county within the state for that matter. But I think I think it's uh a little 
Well, they could. Major League Baseball could have chosen. Why is MLB so different from college football in that regard? Because MLB is not like state to state. Yeah, we're going to have fans for the Mariners game, but not for the Astros game. Does that make sense? What? Why would does college football feel like the states have ownership over those teams more than a major league baseball team? It's the wild, wild west. There's no like strict governing body handling all of these testing protocols. Like it's the professional leagues are very different than the college football sphere. Here's what it is. Here's what it is. I figured out why we're talking. That MLB has what's called a commissioner. College football has no such commissioner. No, there's no governing there, central figure. Which is kind of unbelievable. The NCAA doesn't run the championships for college football. The college football playoff does, but the NCAA does run the sport. They dictate rules. They maintain records and so on and so forth. They uh, declare eligibility, right, or not. It doesn't they feel like the NCAA is going to be the organization to make the decision on whether or not college football happens, though. Well, they're not going to say it's not. The moneymakers, the college football playoff, the CFP are the ones driving this conversation. Well, not necessarily. They only drive the playoff. The the conference commissioners are the ones who drive this conversation. And the money. So the SEC and ACC, I believe, is meeting today. The SEC is meeting, what, Friday? The ACC and the – tomorrow. The SEC and the ACC, to me, will dictate what we do here. Now, it used to not be the ACC as much, but Clemson has a strong voice in this conversation. It's really the SEC. So here BYU is trying to line up a game with the best team in college football, which is sort of indicative of BYU's mindset and attitude and independence, which is let's do things that we couldn't do before. When BYU played Miami in 1990, that wasn't a one-off. That was a return game from a game BYU had played, what, the year before or two years before? And BYU had been smashed by the Hurricanes. In that situation. And I can't even remember. Miami was independent for a long time. So it was Penn State, Florida State, and so on. It was a little different. This, this could be, this could be uh, well, this is what we do. This is what we do with BYU football. Let's assess this as well. We celebrate matchups more than actual results. There's not a better oh! matchup than Alabama. BYU-Alabama! Wait. Takes away the sting of not playing Utah. Should, well, it might add some sting. I don't know. The, hopefully BYU goes and competes well and we go, hey, BYU looked pretty good. That was great. Worth it. Yeah, I, ha- I see no reason not to do this. I-, I-, I think it's a great opportunity because this season is so just messed up. Why not just go play that game? Well, let's not act like Alabama doesn't gain anything out of this either. They have an immediate need for a week one opponent. BYU's available. A home game instead of a neutral site game, we think. So They're- Alabama's like, hey, you're going to come to Tuscaloosa and play us and you're available right now and it can fill the need that USC left us vacant with? Okay, yeah, let's do this. I would think BYU's not unique in that regard. Who knows? I think who, maybe BYU's who knows? one that well, they B- are intrigued by. BYU's probably more of a guarantee than the other teams from other Power 5 conferences because those conferences haven't decided what they're doing, if they're going conference only or plus one. Right. Like BYU is just, we need games. They don't want to host a Power 5 in week one, though. That's typically not what they do. No, they play cupcakes. They line it up. They play one meaningful non-conference game. Like USC. But I mean in Tuscaloosa. USC didn't say, we're going to Tuscaloosa. It's a formidable challenge. BYU obviously isn't the prestige and name brand of USC. But when it comes to actual football capability in 2020, I think the challenge and physicality are similar to what USC would present to Alabama. Like, I don't think. That's a very BYU take. I I think nationally. I stand by it. No one. 
Well, yeah, like, BYU, BYU, BYU. At, BYU beat USC last year. Yeah. So why wouldn't I stand by that? Yeah. They beat them head-to-head. I know. We both work for BYU. That makes sense. Nationally, you're not going to put those two in the same category. No, I just said it's not the same prestige and name brand, but actual football capability, like yeah. on-the-field product. BYU beat USC head-to-head last year. So why would it be so different in 2020 in terms of are they a decent football team? Yeah, BYU is completely decent. Seven and six the last two years. Yeah, that's completely and decent. Good Ab- enough to beat the Trojans head to head. Absolutely. Yeah. No, USC is always a team that's going to have more intrigue and perceived uh, skill than BYU. Speed, especially. Not right? an argument. Yeah. Not an argument. But yeah. just, I, I feel like it's a, it's a similar challenge level for Alabama. Alabama is that much better than everybody else. Yeah, no, they're legit. They're only not better than, say, Clemson and Ohio State. That's kind of it. Those are the big three. The Cougars might be a filet of fish compared to the homestyle chicken sandwich of USC when it comes to one Alabama radio personality's take. But guess what? There are a lot of people that like the filet of fish, or McDonald's wouldn't keep bringing it back. Oh, the dominoes fall. Big Ten, Pac-12. Yesterday, the ACC was reacted to. And now, Jason, it's the SECU later to BYU. BYU now has exactly zero Power 5 games remaining on the 2020 schedule of the originally planned six. Down goes Missouri. And, of course, any shot at what would have been a very fun BYU-Bama matchup to open the season. Jason, my question is, which of these multiple cancellations hurt the worst? The Pac-12, the Big Ten, or the SEC as it pertains to BYU? You know, sometimes it's the most recent gut punch that hurts the most, but that's actually not where I'm going to go. For me, the one that hurts the most is the loss of the Pac-12 games. And honestly, it has nothing to do with losing Utah. It hurts most for me because it was the conference that cost BYU the most games. You had three games against the Pac-12. So you lost Utah, you lost Arizona State, and then you lost Stanford. And then on top of that, one of those games, speaking of the game against the Cardinal, that was the final regular season game. And getting relevant, higher-profile opponents late in the season has been a concern since going independent. So you're losing a great November matchup with Stanford because of that. So they all hurt, but not having those three Pac-12 games, for me, probably hurts the most. Yeah, the game that the game that hurts the most for me is BYU losing the opportunity to play Utah to open the season. Uh, I just thought that the opportunity for BYU to finally end the streak was as high as it's probably going to be in a while uh, with all the turnaround that Utah had and the COVID scenario. So maybe limited or no fans at all, just a couple of football teams going head to head. I know there would have been an asterisk next to it if BYU had won, but still, like it, it would have ended the streak had BYU been able to win that. So that one hurts the most in terms of a game. But as far as the conferences go, the Big Ten, that domino stings the most, Jason, because it was the first. The Big Ten let out here. And they did so before having uh, what was a scheduled communication conference with all of the Power Five Took everybody by surprise. So not only was the college football world shocked, but – I mean, we're talking about the highest level officials within the SEC, the ACC, the Big 12, and the Pac-12 were like, whoa, 
the Big Ten just did what? And it wasn't just football, all sports. They let out really early, and who knows why? Maybe they had insider information from the NCAA. I don't know, but they wanted to be the first conference, so that one stung the most because BYU lost their home opener against Michigan State. Cougars aren't going to get that game back. I'm confident that BYU will get a game back with Minnesota um, because Minnesota is scheduled to come to Provo in 2025, so I'm sure the Gophers are like, hey, we still want you to come up here and you know play in Minnesota. But the, that domino stings the most because I feel like that pushed the Pac-12 into a territory where they're like, okay, we're doing it. Yeah. Big Ten did it. Now we're we're validated. We can totally do this. Yeah, and, and it's it's true. I mean, that was the first domino that fell. You know what? And in hindsight, you know, maybe they were the smartest of them all because they could read the tea leaves and see where this is going. And they've been the one conference that has had the most clarity for the longest amount of time because they were the first ones to do it. I, I completely understand your reasoning behind it. But for me, just the sheer number of games – Three, the majority of your, you know, that, that's more than any of the other conferences that you lost in terms of scheduling. That's the one that hurts just because of the, the sheer numbers of the games you lost. You lost three yeah. against, against good opponents. I know the SEC stings because the BYU-Bama conversation yes. is really exciting. And it, it really did feel like it was gaining momentum. It really did. But it's, I mean, the SEC, I feel like their hand was forced yeah. by everything that's happening. So yeah. I'm not going to say that they are the ones that sting the most. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Hear are what the coaches, athletes, and experts have to say. Here's another great interview from the week on the best of BYU Sports Nation. We now welcome on a third guest to our panel of Experts? Well, he's an expert. Sporting News National College football writer Bill Bender, friend of the program, rejoins the program on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Bill, nice to have you back on the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. What's your life like right now as a college football writer as you watch the dominoes fall with scheduling and conference only and the un... I I wish I could say, like, guaranteed future of college football. We're not sure that there's going to be a season. So what's your life like? Um, uncertainty for sure. As you look into the fall. And I think as we've looked into the power five conferences, it's five different is of how to do this thing. There is no uniformity. I know that's a long running joke when you deal with college football as a whole, when you talk about ever getting everybody on the same page, but you would have thought the extreme circumstances we're living in now would have made that more possible than it really has. By my estimate, the season could start anywhere from August 29th to October 3rd or not at all. So that's where we're at. This week, there's been a lot of hopes that maybe BYU is going to be able to start the season against Alabama. That news uh, broke yesterday that the SEC was going to go with the, with the conference only. So that is no longer on the table. How much pressure do you think the SEC was under once the ACC made its decision to do the nine plus one? Um, you know, a lot. I, I think I was surprised that the ACC went to a plus one and then the SEC followed suit by not by going to a conference only schedule. But I had maintained all the time that I thought the SEC would do something similar to the Big Ten, just because those two conferences drive more than $300 million in revenue to the sport. They're kind of that drive the bus. That's the analogy I always use. And I figured they would be on the same page. But when 
the ACC did the plus one. Now we're kind of turning our attention to the Big 12. What are they going to do? I know you guys are very interested in that for obvious reasons as well. But whether it's 9, 10, or 11 games, again, that disjointedness in the schedule really sticks out to me. Yes, Bill, like the sands of the hourglass, the BYU to the Big 12 rumors have once again returned, and uh, I'm banking on it will end in heartbreak for BYU fans, but we're just trying to figure out if there's an actual validity to any of this BYU to the Big 12 conversation. Can you make a case for why it would be beneficial to both sides? Well, that's the same reason that Notre Dame joined the ACC for a year. You know, Notre Dame has always rallied around has stood firm on that and and because of the extremes we live in they're able to work with the acc and it went both ways i mean that tv money from uh, nbc that's going to go to the acc versus we finally get to see notre dame in a conference i think where it cuts a little bit different than byu is as far as you know through the conversations with you guys and others byu wants to be in the power five wants that you know wants to move up and um I think it would be a unique opportunity. One, for the Big 12, it gives them that 10th conference game. For BYU, it gives them a brand that can move into there and see if they can play with those guys and, and enjoy it. And obviously, there's there's factors in there that I think benefit both sides. Um, and, and BYU of the independence is that next big brand after Notre Dame. I mean, Notre Dame and BYU, obviously huge brands, but out of the independence, those are the two that you thought would get involved in a college football season. What do you ultimately think the Big 12 is going to do? And, and I realize there's so much speculation involved in trying to answer a question like this, and all the variables change literally from minute to minute. But realizing what the other Power Five conferences have done, what do you think ultimately the Big 12 decides to do? Well, I think they're going to do something similar to the ACC with the plus one because of the nine-game conference schedule. That's assuming BYU isn't invited into the Big 12. Um, and then. The other wrinkle at work, and you're seeing this pop up, Pat Forty reported about it yesterday, and others, I've heard other rumors about it, is the Big Ten may not play at all in the fall. They, they may decide to move to the spring, and I, I know that from living in Ohio, the same thing might happen. You're hearing rumors about what, what's the Mid-American Conference going to do. And that would also affect BYU, because they can't get into the Power Five. Do they try to schedule some group of five opponents, um, Mountain West opponents, um, Conference USA, and do they go that route? But if the group of five isn't playing until the spring um, in some conferences, that might be more difficult to do. Bill Bender of the Sporting News with us on BYU Sports Nation. Bill, you bring up the group of five conference, and as you mentioned, it'll affect BYU if they decide to go conference only in the MAC because BYU has a game scheduled with Northern Illinois and DeKalb, Illinois in October. Uh, what impressions are you getting from not just the Mac, but all group of five conferences in your circles and conversations about what they're going to do in light of the movement from the power five conferences? They have to try. I mean, you have to try to play if everybody else is playing. I mean, obviously that money, particularly from the, they call them the, the payoff games or whatever they want to call them where paycheck game or you power five opponent and you get beat by 40 and then, but you get that money and it helps select, you know, your athletic department. So I think they're going to try to play, but I I've also think this season, maybe only there's some validity to pushing the group of five back to the spring. I would do it. I'd let them play five or six games. I'd let them play for their own national championship. I, I, it'd be awesome to watch, you know, app state play. Well, since I went to Ohio university, OU gets to play in that game. So if OU and app state played for the group of five national championship, um, I think it'd be the greatest thing in the world. 
Go Bobcats. <laughs> right. They've not, I don't think they've ever played BYU guys. I, you guys may know that better than me. I feel like a bad OU grad not knowing that, but I'm pretty sure they've never played BYU. I'm checking that yeah, right I, now. I, I can't remember that matchup prior to, so yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. Here, so BYU Athletic Director Tom Homo has mentioned that he has obviously, just like every other athletic director, has multiple scenarios that he can go to depending on whatever circumstances he's faced. It would certainly seem that maybe the last resort of those scenarios is going uh, with an all-independent schedule. How for, for BYU, how likely do you think that is in terms of what ultimately plays out? Well, that, if you can find some opponents, rather via, via the plus one model, you know, the ACC has that open and the SEC shut that door. So who's to say BYU can't schedule a Virginia? You know, that'd be fun for you guys to watch that one. Or uh, <laughs> Virginia Tech or that. I didn't, I did, at first ACC school, I pulled off my head too. I'm sorry about that. But, um, you know, and in the independence, you could probably get an eight to 10 game schedule out of that now if that means having to play a new mexico ice or trying to get a mountain west opponent and the other thing with the group of five like for example the conference usa schedule yesterday where they said they're going to play eight games within conference well if they're willing to step out and schedule other games i think byu could be active in scheduling some of those opponents now, Bill, I want to go back to something you were just talking about. And for the record, BYU and Ohio have never played. So that, that is correct. They have never played. Maybe that'll change. Tom Homo on line one. Um, but you said you'd like to see the group of five teams play for a national championship kind of in their own division if it comes to that and they play in the spring. Are you in favor of power five separation from group of five separation along with FCS and kind of making three different divisions of division one college football? I think I am down the line, maybe not this year, but in terms of the five power five conferences and, and the two independents that I think would factor there, honestly, are BYU and Notre Dame. And I say that from my view of it is those are two programs that have won a national championship in the last 40 years and they've won it in my lifetime. So I, I can say that they're capable of winning a national championship because they've done it. Now you put them in that power, sure you go with 66 schools and then you go with the group of five. I think, I get why the group of five wants to be where they're at, but I UCF proved in a four team format that the group five school is never going to make a playoff. So if, if they're waiting till we go to an eight team playoff and they get an automatic bid that way, I understand, but is that a guarantee? You know, is it a guarantee that a group of five school would be one of the eight best teams in the country if they did it that way, if they weren't an automatic qualifier. And that's something to keep in mind as they head to the next, uh, all this talk about, expansion i am a one of the few that i think four is fine i think four playoff teams is good and more sometimes can water down the season i'm one of those guys there aren't a lot of us anymore (laughs) well and 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 i want to take that maybe one step further because like specifically in the nba i know that uh, over the last couple of months there's been a lot of talk for people that wanted to change the schedule and have the games actually played in like late, you know, in the winter time and then push it into the summer. So they're kind of, I don't want to say using this opportunity, but this may be an opportunity for some significant change, like moving when the NBA season is played. So taking what you were just talking about with college football, do you think that this is an opportunity for maybe those seeds to be planted a little deeper for those that do want a, a, a clear division between Power Five and the rest of the teams? I think so. I think 
that's one thing that could happen. The other with this conference only scheduling, and you're seeing tweets about this now, is that you know once the SEC gets a 10-game conference schedule, they may really like it. They, they may just like it and not play a lot of non-conference games. Same thing with the Big Ten. Um, I thought baseball would do that in some ways, having the NL Central and the AL in the same region. But I think baseball's biggest issue right now games have already been postponed and we've only played seven games um that's another college football i think we're going to encounter later um but yeah i think the regionality part is, is very interesting um and then as you mentioned about the 18 playoff 14 playoff 18 playoff those kind of things a lot of this is experimentation this year it's a one-of-a-kind season Notre Dame may like playing in a conference. That, that's another thing that I've been asking people all day yesterday was, uh, what if Notre Dame wins the ACC? Do they like the conference or do they, this isn't for us. We're going to go back to independent. And what, what would the impact of that be? All right, Bill. Um, maybe we have buried the most important question for last and, and we maybe have purposely avoided this, <laughs> but is this all for not? Like, is a college football season even going to happen? Because, as you pointed out, Major League Baseball is running into significant challenges now with uh, multiple teams and players testing positive, notably the Phillies and the Marlins. So is college football inevitably headed for that and an early shutdown to the season if they try and play? There's two schools of thought with this. There's some that say, well, try to play early in see what happens, you know, get going in late August and get what you can in. And then if it becomes a demolition derby and we lose schools and players, so be it. And then there's the others. I, th- I thought the SEC's plan made sense in terms of starting late September, conference only. Um, see what the NFL does, honestly, like with the NFL training camps. And if they have, a, if it's a mess with them, they can take a step back and say, well, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. I think baseball is going to get worse before it gets better. And that's going to have an impact on everything. And the people that are talking about a bubble, well, is there a bubble that can house six or 64 power five schools, 130 schools and all these players with a football? I don't think that's possible, unfortunately. So my answer is I, I hope so. If we do, it'll be late September or October seems to make the most sense. And uh, obviously it hinges on something none of us have ever with in our lifetime. Bill, great to catch up with you. The pride of Ohio. Uh, we'll work on that matchup between the Cougars and the Bobcats, and uh, you keep doing your thing for the Sporting News. Thanks for the time. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. You got it. Bill Bender on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why we show how. We'll be right back with more of the best of BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. Let's hit up the best to wear it. We're counting up to 99. One number each show, perhaps two like today, determining who was the best athlete to wear each number at BYU. We have 61 and 62 today. Number 61, going to a linebacker from back in the day in 1975 to 1979, Gary Kama. This is the best to wear number 61, 215 tackles, 18 tackles for loss, two sacks, three forced fumbles, and seven pass breakups in his career. 1979, first team all whack, eighth most tackles in a single game in BYU history with 18 against Long Beach State. It's, 
unbelievable. That's he was wild. the AP National Player of the Week and the WAC Player of the Week when he recorded 17 tackles against Texas A&M. And in 1979, led the team in tackles and tackles for loss, a team that finished uh, undefeated in the regular season. That 79 game against Texas A&M was BYU's first win against the ranked team. BYU went for two to win. And then the footage we just showed of BYU playing San Diego State, uh, Mark Wilson threw three passes, uh, three touchdowns to start that game. Al Michaels on the call. There we go. Back so the best the to wear, number 61, Gary Kama. Okay, number 62, Larry Moore. Larry Moore was the center for BYU football in 95 and 96. Came from uh, Grossmont Junior College. And guess what? 95, BYU uh, doesn't make a bowl game, gets real hungry. And in 96, bang, 14-1. and one. Played in the NFL after being a two-time all-wax selection on that amazing uh, 96 team there. Played in the NFL from 98 to 05 with the Colts' Washington football team and Bengals. Started all 16 games for the Colts in 99 and 2000. Redskins in 02. Uh, currently the offensive line coach at the University of Incarnate Word in San Antonio. Larry Moore was underrated. I remember when he yes. played, everyone was like, this guy is awesome. Yes. And he played in the NFL for several years. So the best to wear number 62, Larry, your boy, Moore. Calvin Close, an offensive lineman, is the best to wear 63. He played in the 70s and early 80s. AP honorable mention in 1980. On that offensive line, 80 was the greatest passing season in NCAA history with Jim McMahon eclipsing 4,000 for the first time ever. Anyone did that. Two-time first-team all-whack. Played in the NFL for the Saints and Colts. Calvin Close. That headshot's awesome. That flow was legit. Kind of close to Calvin Klein. At number 64, Mohamed Elawanibi. Yeah, Mo Elawanibi. Very unique story. So he's born in Nigeria. He lives there until he's 11. He goes to Canada. He doesn't play high school football. He ends up coming to BYU after a successful uh, couple years at Snow. And he's the best lineman in the country on the Ooh. offensive line. He won the Outland, which is for interior linemen, offensive and defensive, right? Um, he played in the NFL for a couple years for the Washington football team. Yeah, I, I'm just calling it that because it's... That's what it is now. It is now, yeah. Uh, won the Super Bowl in 1990. Played in the CFL for several years, 97-05. And was a CFL All-Star in 98. Mo Elowanibi with Jason Buck ran out the flag last year to game. And they were on Countdown to Kickoff, which was super fun. The then. two Outland Trophy winners together. Right. And just the idea of a Mohammed playing for BYU, I right. thought was really cool. Very cool. That was great. Yeah, the relationship he has with Ty Detmer is really fun, too. And you think about the offensive linemen that they had. There's a reason that BYU was able to pass the ball so effectively. They had good offensive lines. If BYU had bad offensive lines, it ain't happening. Number 65, Dallas Reynolds. You know the name. 2005 to 2008 for BYU football. Started all 51 games in his BYU career. In 2008, he was an All-Mountain West Conference first team. Also in 2008, an Outland Trophy candidate, as well as the Lombardi Award candidate. Spent four years in the National Football League, 2012 with the Philadelphia Eagles, and then 2013 through 2015 with the New York Football Giants. Solid. At number 66, BYU softball superstar Yanetta Leahy. Between 03 and 2006, Netta was unbelievable. Three-time Easton All-American, two-time Mountain West Conference Player of the Year in 04 and 06, four-time All-MWC player, played professionally two years with the Akron Racers. Late second all-time at BYU in career, RBI, 
third in total bases, fifth in total hits, fifth in career home runs of 44, had a career, career batting average of 367, second in doubles, second in career slugging percentage at 654. Not surprisingly, Jason, she was a no-brainer inductee into the BYU Athletics Hall of Fame in 2016. The screen says it best. Lei legend. Two very, uh, look, they very deserving athletes for number 65 and number 66. Number 67 and 68 as we determine the best athletes to wear each number at BYU. If you like linemen, you're going to like today's number 67. Sete Aulai played okay. 2005 to 2007 and 06 on that 11-2 and team. Sete was... All Mountain West Conference second team. He was credited with 108 knockdowns. Pancakes, the nickname. 108 for that? knockdowns. Knockdowns. I, that was on his bio. Okay. So how about how about that? Started 26 consecutive games, junior and senior season. Again, when BYU's had a good offense, you can look at that offensive line, and they've been really good. And Sete Ally was one of those, the best way number 67. Okay, the lineman love continues at number 68 with Jason Sukanik. Vancouver, Washington. What's up? It's not Skukanik. It's Sukanik. Skanik. From 1997 to 2001. Not a bad little run there. All Mountain West Conference first team in 2001. Watch the reviewable show on that 01 season. It was memorable if you're not familiar with it. Started 25 consecutive games. I'm always impressed by these numbers with offensive linemen specifically. Oh, man. Yeah, they're they're, uh, they're bruising each other every play. I'm shocked when they... Miss a game because they're so tough, right? I know that Jason loves frozen peas. We know that. That he does. Radio personality in the Northwest. uh, Great personality. Signed as a free agent with the Denver Broncos in 2001 following his All-Mountain West Conference first team season. Jason Sukanik, the best to ever wear number 68 at BYU. Number 69 going to Aaron McCubbins, football player between 97 and in 2001, he played every offensive line position Whoa. in the 2001 season. Uh, 2000 All-Mountain West Conference honorable mention. In 2001, BYU Offensive Utility Player of the Year. The best to wear, number 69, Aaron McCubbins. He's the Taysom Hill of BYU <laughs> offensive linemen. Right, that's right. The Swiss Army Knife. Hey, Coach, uh, you want me to play guard or you want me to snap today? Coach, where or... do you want me? The line. <laughs> <laughs> That's impressive. Nicely done. Number 70, another outstanding lineman, Evan Pilgrim. And outstanding is probably an understatement. 1993, first team All-WAC. 94, Associated Press, second team All-American. Evan Pilgrim spent six years in the NFL, Chicago Bears, with the Tennessee Oilers. Ooh, yeah, that one Titans. That 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 little in-between time there. Tennessee Oilers and the Atlanta Falcons rounding out his career in 2000. Those are the best to wear it at numbers 69 and 70. Join the conversation 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the hashtag BYUSN. The best of BYU Sports Nation rolls on after this. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. All right, let's play a little big deal, no deal. Big deal. 
don't know, Dill. It's presented by Bodyguards, protection for a life worth living. Learn more at Bodyguards.com. Okay, number one, big deal, no deal. Yoli Child's invitation to the NBA Draft Combine. Uh, yeah, this is a big deal. No-brainer, right? Yeah, this is a no-brainer deal for me because, look, when you talk about guys that are invited to the the NBA Combine, those are the guys that are looked at as the draftable players. You're not bringing in guys that you don't think have the ability to be drafted. So the fact that Yoli's on that list, that, that's, that's a big deal. Plus, it's not like the NFL Combine where it's just drills. The NBA Combine, they actually play some games. They have three-on-three three and five-on-five. Five. So you have an opportunity to get in front of these GMs, the coaches, you know, all these execs. This is a big deal for Yoli. This is really exciting for him. CBO's first player since Eric Mika. To be invited, I believe. I believe that is correct. I don't think Kyle Collinsworth got an invite, but made it into the NBA and still in the G League. Uh, this is a big deal. Um, Yoli Childs uh, earned his way into that. He was not invited last year, and he had a tremendous senior season, and he got the invite now. So I, I think he became one of the best players in the country, and uh, it's pretty cool to see him get this opportunity. Does it mean he'll be drafted? Not necessarily, right? But it, it certainly increases his yes. exposure to potentially be. Yeah, nothing's a guarantee just because you get an, an invite to the, to the draft combine. But again, those players that are given those invites are looked at as draftable players that we want to get a closer look at. So that's a, that's if, a good sign for Yoli. If you play in the NCAA and you're not at the combine, you won't be drafted. The only non-combine draftees are foreign players. Correct. Traditionally. Traditionally, yes. All right, big deal, no deal. Zach Wilson being named to the Maxwell Award watch list. No deal. Um, it's cool, but it's not a big deal. Um, there are a lot of players on the list. Zach is the uh, quarterback of the BYU Cougars. He's going to be at the forefront of the program. I think it's no deal. Obviously, it's, uh, it's cool. I'm not saying it's not nice, but I'm not a huge watch list guy. I'm a huge award wins guy. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a, an award watch list guy either, but it's one of those things where had he not been on it, I would have been, like, outraged. Well, that would have been a <laughs> So, But so I, I will say no deal just because, you know, like, I, I expected him to be on that. He should be on that. Yeah. Yeah, he absolutely should be on that. So I, I love Michael Elisa. He's my guy. Two, two-time Doak Walker award watch list. Like, it didn't <laughs> end up being anything. It was just flutter Look, for the preseason. Here's the deal, it. though. If I were ever on a watch list, that would be in my Twitter profile. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm well, announcing let's, that. Let's put you on a watch list. You're on the BYU Sports Nation host watch list. Done. If I have room. You know who isn't? I'm going to have to stop. I'm gonna Dennis t- Pitta. Oh, boy. Why? Why? Why do you, you got to have the friction? It creates fire. <laughs> Big deal, no deal. An Alabama media member. What's his name? Stephen M. Smith? Yeah, let's not get him That's compared Stephen with Smith. Stephen A. Smith. That M means a lot. M for media. Compares BYU uh, playing Alabama to a filet of fish. <sighs> For those that have not seen this, the video is actually quite funny. But his, his whole idea was Alabama was originally going to play USC to yes, begin in Dallas, in Dallas at uh, AT&T Stadium. And he compared that to like going to the McDonald's for the homestyle chicken meal. That's not going to McDonald's. No, it's I don't not. Like where this but, his, but his point was you get all excited about the, the homestyle chicken meal, the USC, and when you go there, you find out that they're all out of homestyle chicken meals. And so they offer you a filet of fish. So he said that BYU was the filet of fish in this scenario. I've never been more offended in my entire life. First of all, my dad is the only person that I have ever known that has purchased a filet of fish. Really? My dad enjoys the filet of fish. He might be keeping He is the only home. person I know in my lifetime who I've ever seen order a filet of fish. And so is this a big deal or no deal? 
It's it's a it's a it's a no deal. It's Stephen M. Smith. Okay, Stephen M. Smith. Okay, I forgot we were doing big deal, no deal. I was going off on a rant. <laughs> it's no deal. It's no deal. I have not tried the fillet of fish, although it is a it's a breaded fish from a, a fast food burger joint, and they that put cheese on the top of fish. Yeah, no. I don't like I'm, fish anyway. I but. ate fish. I ate salmon and ribs for dinner last night. Oh, royal. Salmon dinner. ribs? I ate salmon ribs. Who knew? <laughs> They're tiny. <laughs> I'm going to have salmon for lunch. I will not be having the filet of fish, though, however. All right. No deal. All right. Big deal, no deal. <laughs> filet of fish. AOL, filet of fish. <laughs> Off the rails. We are. July All right. Big deal, no deal. The NCAA deciding not to decide on the fate of the fall championships for another two weeks. It's a big deal because it's the right decision. They need to wait. They need a little more information. Yet, how long can you wait? Yeah. Uh, with football, I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, certain teams. We need to wait and figure this out. It's like, it's six weeks to the season. When are you going to figure this out? Because there are teams who need to figure out who they're going to play and how they're going to make this work. So I think we're getting close to when a lot of decisions need to be made relative to college football. This particular one has to do with fall championships. That is cross-country, soccer, women's, women's volleyball. volleyball. Yeah, it's a big deal just because we're all just craving for answers and some clarity. And, and even though this is something that's not going to take place right away, we're talking about things that will take place in November. It, it's some still, December. yeah, it's some yeah. December. It's, it's still a decision that's a domino, you know, that that needs to be made so that you can see what scenario plays out. And okay, so now that that's happened, we're going to go. We're going to take this course. So it's a big deal because it's just another decision we have to wait on. If there's no championships, what's the point what's, of the season? Exactly. So what's they're the point? essentially determining: Are we going to have a season at all? in the fall for these. For the most part. Because they could push some of these to the spring. It's just delaying, hoping we have more answers in a vaccine or whatever for the spring or the numbers go down. Um, Interesting. Okay, last but not least, big deal, no deal. Two Major League Baseball games being postponed today (sighs) due to COVID-19. Right now, because I don't want there to be an issue, I'm going to say... Look, it's a big deal. I don't want it to be a big deal, but it is. Yeah, how is it not? I know. Well, I, think, I just don't want. I, I just is, don't yeah. want to admit it because I don't want something to happen to Major League Baseball where you, it's not going to be played. Mm. The fact that I had multiple games to watch over the weekend and I was just flipping back and forth—it was heaven. It was very fun. So it, it's a big deal. Now, it will be where it goes next will be the real big deal, no deal, because if it leads to more than just one game or more teams now doing it. Then it starts. Then it starts to spread, and then it's a, then it's a really big deal. If it's just contained to to it's, right now, it's just the Marlins. The other teams are being the Phillies played the Marlins, so they're so that's why they're the Yankees were in town to play the Phillies, so that's why that game's not being played. And then it was the Orioles and the Marlins. So the Mar the Marlins are the only ones that we know of that have the positive tests, right. but it's affected three other Major League Baseball clubs. So it, it's a big deal. Hopefully, it's something that doesn't shut the league down. Yeah, we will see. It's definitely a big deal because it's one of the big four that's dealing with yes positive tests and how are they going to uh, do that? The NBA is hoping they have zero because they're in the bubble. That's not exactly true though, right? Because they're employees from the outside who right. enter it. So mostly bubble. Um, the only true bubble is the, uh, the MTC, right? As we talked <laughs> that's about. A really, that's an idea I, that I had not even it, thought of. That's not a bad idea. And even then, there are people who work there, right? Security, teachers, custodial, 
you know, food that come in from the outside, but it is safety uh, zone. And in the will the safety, safety zone, zone be there? You'll Spencer be there. and I are on demand giving safety zone. <laughs> you can be there to make lessons. sure everyone's following the rules. Like, don't no. Well, let's talk money. Let's do it. <laughs> that wraps up big deal, no deal. You had no idea safety zone was going to be brought up on the show. Today, I'm ready you? for safety zone every. <laughs> The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Let's whip it. It's time for the Cougar Whip Around. Football. The SEC announced yesterday its decision to play a 10-game conference-only schedule that will begin on September 26th. That means the BYU's game with the Missouri Tigers on October 10th is no longer on the schedule. The Cougars' 2020 football schedule currently consists of six games, all against G5 and independent opponents. Conference USA announces they will play a full conference slate With up to four non-conference opponents per program, the conference will lead the number of non-conference games up to those individual teams. That said, it's technically now a scheduling option for BYU, but as we discussed earlier, it's second fiddle to BYU to the Big 12. But is there any validity to that? Uh, I would ask on Big 12 Media Day, but that got canceled from Monday, Jason. So uh, Bob Bowlesby's off the hook for now. Yeah, for right now. The NCAA updated several rules yesterday for the upcoming season. Student-athletes are allowed to wear patches on uniforms for commemorative or memorial purposes, as well as to support social justice issues. Uh, Team areas will now be expanded to the 15-yard lines. It was previously at the 25-yard lines. Coin toss participants will now be limited to just two officials and one captain from each team. Also, in both men's and women's soccer, Players spitting at an opponent will serve a two-game suspension. And in women's volleyball, teams will remain on the same bench for the entire match instead of switching after every set. It is time for a scheduling version of Swipe Right or Swipe Left, presented by Tim Daly for Jason. Would you swipe right? or left on the following possible opponents for BYU this fall to replace canceled games. So uncomfortable with this segment. (laughs) (laughs) The music alone. Okay, Jason, number one, a game at Miami. I'm swiping right, my friend. Who wouldn't want, like, how many times have we brought up BYU versus Miami? An opportunity to play Miami again? Yeah, I'm taking that. I'm swiping right. I'm swiping left. I have terrible memories of Miami and the last time BYU played in Miami. And also, I went back there on vacation and got my phone and wallet stolen in Miami. I'm I'm swiping left. I want no part of South Beach. All right. Swipe right or swipe left. Facing... Boston College. Oh, at one, Boston College. One million percent swiping right. I think this is a great potential matchup for BYU. Go to Chestnut Hill, play that game. Look, I, if, if it's one of the only options, sure. I'm going to say swipe left because it's, it's too far to travel. I, there's other options here. Well, I you like. go to Miami, but not to Boston? Because of the history. Okay. Swipe right or swipe left, Oklahoma State. I'm swiping right. Big 12, baby. Let's yes. go. Let's, yes. let's let's keep digging in those uh, those roots. And I hope this happens. There, there are reports that this might actually happen, a game with Oklahoma State coming out of Stillwater. So, yeah, swiping right on that. Okay? Next one, Jason. 
any Conference USA game in Provo. Like, I want to swipe left. I'm saying swipe right because that may be BYU's options here. So I'm going to swipe right. I don't know. Yes. If it's a game that forces or allows BYU to not play a home and road with independence like New Mexico State. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Take the Conference USA game. This is USA one opportunity game. that is there right now. Come on. They're going to play a full schedule up to four non-conference opponents. This seems like an ideal opportunity for BYU. Yep. That wraps up the best of BYU Sports Nation this week. Tune in next Saturday for the Cougar news you need to hear. And catch the BYU Sports Nation simulcast every day at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific on BYU TV and BYU Radio.